Boag World is produced by the web design agency headscape.co.uk. It's brought to you by Shopify, an e-commerce solution made by designers for designers. For more information, visit shopify.com forward slash Boag World. It's also brought to you in association with WebVanta, the designer-friendly content management system that supports structured content with no back-end coding while making it easy for your clients to add content. For more information, visit webvanta.com forward slash Boagworld. On this week's show, Brian Suder talks about the mobile web, I suggest ways of responding to email inquiries, and Paul talks about email masking. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. Hello, and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. BoagWorld. Hello, and welcome to the 100th episode of Hello and welcome to the 186th episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Boag and Marcus is putting faces at me. <laughs> what a great start to the show. Hello, Marcus. What a very long start to the show. Yes. But hey, I did it in two takes. You did. That was pretty good. Yeah. And you don't know, you haven't got a clue what web vanter are, do you? You'll probably tell me. I'll, I'll tell time. you later. I'll save that. Okay. Teaser. That's what that's called a teaser. I did notice a big fat advert for it on on the site yesterday. They've now gone for a small advert higher up on the page. Okay. Actually, they're really cool people. I, I really like them very much. But I'll tell you about them later. Hey, did you enjoy? Hey, hey did you? Hey. Shut up! I'm, be, I'm in a good mood today. Why should you be criticising me for being in a good mood? Uh, who says I'm criticising you? You are. You're I'm taking joining the, in. You're taking the mic or laughing with you. You're no. You're <laughs> laughing at me. We know that this to be true. These things are self-evident. Yes, I did enjoy FOA. Yeah, it was the good, one it? day that I was there, it was very good. And we had a really good chat with Dan James yeah. from Silver Orange. I didn't really want to come, if I'm honest. No, I know you didn't. I had a very long day because that was my 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations! Last week. Yes, and not thank, thank you to all the other people that thanked me and and yeah, thanked thank me and cor- congratulated <laughs> me. <laughs> that sounds a bit iffy, doesn't it? Uh, or does it? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Spanked you would, would <laughs> sound iffy. Just, just wrong. Okay. There you go, it's just wrong. Just wrong. But yeah, so we went to Devon overnight, so I was drive down there, drive back, and then I was late up there, and then I had to get up and get on an early train just to come and record you. And we'd done so well the previous day, we could yeah, probably yeah, got away without you being there. And you said, oh, we don't really need to do it today. <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. It was very good. It was very useful. Oh, talking about costs on the fight, I, I have this overwhelming urge to get up on the stage at Future, future Of stuff. I just feel that I, I'm meant to be on the stage. Yes, That's born. where I'm born to be. Exactly. <laughs> so but I've got my workshop coming up soon, which is really good. Lots of people have signed up for it, so I'm really excited about that it. That is good. So there are still places available. Um, I'll put stuff in the show note because I talked about it last week. So if you want to know. you get a Media Temple fancy drinky thing? Oh, because I went to the speaker's dinner, even though I wasn't a speaker at Future Web Apps. Media Temple kindly gave me a very get, fancy drinky. You me one. No. You weren't a speaker. Well, neither was neither I. Neither were you. I know, but I was at the speaker's dinner. I'm sure the guys at Media Temple would send you one I if you really wanted it. It's a really nice It is. Thing. It's really nice. 
I like it. It's mm. mine. Back off. It would go well in my golf bag. In your golf it bag? It would. You have okay. to have water in your bag. Well, you just give them free advertising to Media Temple now. Yep. Let's say that their service is shit. <laughs> there we go. That, that well, contracts actually, it. Didn't we, didn't we interview one of them on Friday? Yes, we did. Yeah, so that's okay then, isn't it's it? it? Okay, right. Uh, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes, I was pimping my... I was advertising other things. I was pimping my workshop. Yeah, check out com forward slash podcast forward slash 186, and I'll, I'll put stuff in there about that. But, yeah, we did loads of cool interviews, didn't we? Mm-hmm. So we've got stacks coming up. We got interview with Kevin Rose. We did interview people from Silver Orange, which are a very interesting agency in um, in Canada. Did you just burp? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that funny. It was the way he just snuck out, wasn't it? And he had this like, ooh, kind of shameful look on his face. Uh, dear. Mm, it's going to be one of these shows. Sign of age, I'll be farting soon. <laughs> Hair growing out of your ears and oh, nose. That's already happening. <laughs> Believe me. So there we go. That's why you wear those headphones the whole time to yeah. cover up the hair sprouting from every orifice. Absolutely. This is very distasteful, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, we got a load of good immediate. The other thing that we did, which I think was good this time around, is we because you just hear the same old people at these. You know, oh, we interviewed Kevin Rose. What a surprise! Very good interview, I have to say. But it, um, we also grabbed a few people that you'll have never heard of as well, which is really cool, including um, one fourteen-year-old and one eighteen-year-old that are far, far too talented, and it shouldn't be allowed. So all of that will come up over the next few weeks and months. So stay tuned. Shall we? Um, should we move on to the news? Or should we be saying that the the podcast that was advertised for next week is actually going to be the week after now? Uh, no, because I haven't mentioned on the podcast that we were going to do the podcast next week, and that the podcast next week is now going to be the week after. So I was intending cool, to, to announce it on Twitter. It sounds really complicated. Now. It does. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we thought we were going to have Carl Sonified. Carl Sonified. They'll kill me for that. Clear left on the but show. Ryan couldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> so we settled for clear left. Yeah. Um, no, we we're going to have clear left on the show, but I think it's going to have to move around a bit. But we are going to do it. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun show because that will be totally unstructured and chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've uh, yeah, if you've got ideas for that, um, then if you um, tweet, no, there's a post on Boag World. You can add comments to that um, of stuff that you would like us to discuss. The got ones I, I noticed there were about four on it yesterday. And I thought, well, that'd do. Actually. Yeah, actually, we've probably got enough. But it's always good to be able to pick and choose. Yeah. Should we hurtle on into the news at a breakneck speed? Right, let's hurtle on into the news then. And we start off with um, a pet peeve of mine, which is that uh, being, the, being the kind of fashion kind of victim that I am, mm. I have to sign up for every new service that comes along, right? Every Web 2.0 application, I go, ooh, shiny, and have to mm-hmm. sign up for it. And it gets a bit of a pain in the neck, to be perfectly honest. I, um, having to sign up endlessly for different accounts and stuff really gets on my wick. Um, also, then I hate having to log in, especially when it has one of those little tick to remember me check boxes and then you tick it and it doesn't make any flipping difference that bugs me yeah why do, why have a box i know I think, it doesn't you know i think microsoft stuff does that a lot yeah it, you have to do it every time I it know. forgets you if you don't yeah. tick it i know but you have to do it yeah it's like well hang on i'm supposed to just go bam and i'm in yes <laughs> well it's anyway, all to do with with public computers Right. To do with, you know, do people want to be remembered on a public computer and stuff like that. And it's interesting because this is, um, 
This is something Jeremy Keith has been talking about recently when he created his um, web app Huff Duffer, yeah. which if you haven't checked out, is worth checking out because it allows you to basically, as you trawl around the, the web, if you come across a piece of audio you like the sound of, um, then you can just click on a little bookmark and it adds it to like an RSS feed that you can subscribe to in iTunes so you can create your own podcast from any audio content on the web. Yep whether that's music or whatever. So very cool. like that. Huff Duffer. But anyway, he was talking about building this app. Um, and one of the things that he did was challenge two kind of current practices when it comes up to sign-up forms and login forms and that kind of stuff. The first was requiring users to enter an email address or a password twice. Um, and this gets into the whole area of do you need to mask out passwords, really? Or can you actually show the content of passwords? Which is a really interesting debate at the moment. There's one group of people that are very concerned about security. Ooh, what if someone's leaning over your shoulder? Could they'll see your password? It depends entirely on where it is. But then I suppose if it does depend, if there is a situation where it does matter, then you kind of have to have that option, don't you? But Mac, they just... You have a button, you can click a box, show it so or don't. Show it, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Or you could do the iPhone where you just see the character you've just typed and then it disappears into a mask Still after a little that. bit. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, so keen on that idea. Well, it, I, I guess I don't care, but then I haven't got anything I particularly have to worry about. Yeah. Um, if it was, I mean, I think if I was a bank, I would be concerned yeah. about that. Well, it, it depends on the application, yeah. I think. And, and I think Jeremy touches on that in his article, as I remember. Um, but I'm so, so really, I don't, my feeling is, is that we kind of do that by default because mm. it's built into the browser that if you say it's a password field, it will hide the content of it. Um, and I don't think that's always required. And that's what Jeremy says as well. The second little point he remembers, uh, raises is the remember me button, the remember me checkbox that I was mentioning a minute ago. He says, well, why don't you have it checked by default? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, you know, and then Who doesn't can, want to be remembered? Well, somebody um, using it at a library on a public computer. Well, yeah, public computers, yes, fine. But, but then you could argue people just log out. Mm. Um, but he's saying that halfway house would be, well, check it by default, and then, you know, on the rare occasions that um, that it's a problem, people can uncheck it. And it just, you know, well, shifts the it default. actually works would be good. Yeah, that'd help too. <laughs> so, um, interesting article by Jeremy, and check that out. It'll be in the show notes. But there's also a second post um, on the same kind of subject, really, which is um, a post by TechCrunch. Now, I don't like mentioning TechCrunch because I don't like Mike Arrington very much. I think he's an opinionated snob. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but... This particular one is really good. And it's talking about the the new Facebook connection wizard, right? Uh, Or connect wizard, not connection wizard. Um, If you haven't come across Facebook connect before, it's an easy way for anybody um, to to basically... Facebook's another one. Facebook does remember me. Yeah. The rare once a month I might go and have a look at it. Yeah. But it says it doesn't. It comes up with a login screen with an unchecked box, do you want to remember me? But it's all filled in. It's like, well, that's just bad usability. It should just log me in. Okay. Anyway, move on. Yeah. No, no, I don't disagree. It's all a bit of a a messy area. Mm. I think part of the problem is all to do with cookies and stuff and cookies expiring and what what security settings you've got as far as dropping cookies and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's browser browser thing as well. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this been, thing been around for a while called Facebook Connect, which basically allows you to log in <clears throat> to a website using Facebook 
rather than using your own proprietary system, which obviously is really useful because it means less passwords for people to remember. And there are other ones out there as well. Um, uh, Twitter, you can authenticate with Twitter. Um, there's OpenID is another way of doing it. And then back in the day, there was even, do you remember Microsoft Passport? Yes, yeah, still exists. Yeah, I know, but nobody ever uses it anymore. Mm. So anyway, the, the problem with Facebook Connect, and a lot of them really, is that they're a bit complicated to set up and integrate with your application, especially if you're not particularly techie. And that's where the Facebook Connect uh, Connect Wizard comes in, because mm. it's an easy way to add Facebook Connect to a website, even if you've got no coding knowledge. Basically, it's a, well, a wizard uh, <laughs> um, that consists of three simple steps that take a matter of minutes to set up. Um and uh, once it's done, users can log into your site using Facebook, which is one less username and password to remember, which is kind of cool. So I've got a whole thing about passwords. Actually, this okay. might even be a, a rare blog post written by me. All right. Go on then. Uh, well, just as a, a, a little taster, I... I, I have yeah, a, very, very I good. I have an issue, shut it. Um, <laughs> With the fact that people te- people will use the same passwords over and over and yep. over again, yeah, um, and they'll have the usually probably a five or a six version, yep. and they'll have the version of that with the numbers in, and the, yeah, and, the, and they'll have the, their eight character version, yeah, and it, I just my issue with it all is, is it really that secure? Half no of this stuff, no. So yeah, is the straightforward answer. So I might, I mean, it's I might like- rant about that one day. If I didn't, ch- I use one password to manage all my passwords. So I can have random passwords for different websites, which is... Well, another one, I've got another real bugbear I've got is one of the phone companies insists on you have a four-pin number code, yeah. all right? Yeah. Which you instantly think, what's the four-pin com- code that I'm going to remember? My bank card. Yeah. And you just give it to someone over the phone. It's yeah. Like, what have I just done? Ah. Yeah. And it's written down somewhere. And yeah. it's like I sign up for all these little little services, you know, that people, um, you know, people are up and running. I have no idea what they do with that password. I mean, we get sign off, for example. It goes and it's encrypt- one-way encryption into the database, so even we can't get it out. Mm. But... Nobody using our service knows whether we do that or not. Just because we say we do, we might be lying and harvesting all these passwords. They're just written on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, send out, we send out a mailing list <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to random spammers and people. Yeah. So, I mean, you really don't know what people are doing with mm. your password. Interesting area. Anyway, let's move on. Search results design is the next thing I want to mention. And there's a Smashing Magazine um, post which basically looks at a large cross-section of websites that have search mechanisms on and kind of analyzes what they do and why they do it. And this follows on well from the articles that we mentioned last week um, about the list, on the list of part which dealt with search. Um, so I thought it would be worth following up with this post. Um, so what, it, what the post is doing is basically analyzing the search design from a whole range of sites, from Google to Walmart, and it draws some interesting conclusions that I thought I would um, share with you. Uh, it's great advice, basically. Things like visited links should be indicated as visited. Yep. Um, you know, where possible, results pages should have an RSS feed or a subscribe option, which is quite an interesting idea. Not something I currently do, but it makes a lot of sense. If you mm. only want to see Boag World articles that mention... You, me, Marcus. Yes. I was there first, actually, with that thought. Yes. So you would search on Marcus, and then you could save that out, and uh, every every post that mentioned you would uh, would appear in someone's RSS feed, which is a good idea. Hmm. Um, uh, you also it recommends that you monitor future improvements 
Um, you request feedback from users after searches are conducted. In other words, someone does search, you ask them for some feedback. Did you find what you were looking for? Yes. Don't that know how always annoys me, but yeah, okay, fair enough. You I get suppose. annoyed by everything. You've reached that age. <laughs> yeah. you? You, you could go on that program, Grumpy Old Men, couldn't you? Oh, definitely. I am certainly of that age. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, if the, uh, the other thing that they recommend is if results span different uh, sections of the site, this should in some way be indicated using subheadings or some other divider. That's cool. I think is a good idea. Um, and that you should allow resorting and filtering of results, which I also agree with. So really quite interesting. Um, of course, um, just because of a lot of websites, however, take a certain approach doesn't necessarily mean that that's best practice. I've seen a lot of bad practice copied from one site to another, mm. especially if one of those sites is very high profile and everybody goes, well, Amazon does it, therefore it must be right. But something that may be right for Amazon isn't necessarily right for your site. That said, um, this list of recommendations seems pretty sh- solid. So um, you can read the complete list and uh, see the different sites on the post. So check that out. Okay, next up was, was, I don't know whether this is a news story or not really. It's kind of rambling thoughts on my behalf. Um, behalf? It, behalf. Behalf. Yes. <laughs> do you not know that word? Oh, uh, I oh, do now, so obviously. He's so ignorant. Um, it all kicked off with a post that I read on SitePoint this week entitled Why Windows 7 Will Re- uh, Revolutionise Browser Testing. Windows 7 will revolutionise your party. Yes, <laughs> it will give you a special We can't let party. that go just no, for one week. No, It is the most appalling thing I've ever I'm, seen. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it for Boag World. I think we're going to throw Boag World 200th episode parties. Can we get balloons printed? <laughs> um, anyway, the part that caught my eye in this particular post was something called XP mode that allows users to run um, basically... Any application that can only run in I, uh, sorry, in, uh, in XP, but it also will allow you to run, if you so wish, IE6, which is great because it means you can run IE6 specific web applications. However, your default browser will still be IE8, and this I think will change everything. Because as I've said numerous times before, the reason IE6 survives is because of legacy systems within large corporates. So in a single move, Microsoft are overcoming this problem. So sod Google Frames or whatever it was, this is a really good answer to it. Um, if they can use IE6 in these systems um, and IE8 for everything else, then think life is cosy and rosy and lovely and special. Um, and let's face it, there's been a lot of positive buzz around IE7. Uh, sorry. Windows 7 Mm. Um, and I know that many large organisations who skipped Vista entirely are now seriously considering upgrading Um, if that is the case then the number of instances of people running i6 is going to fall through the floor over the next year and life will be perfect yeah there's a big if in all of that what's the big if if that is the case that that they're going to upgrade to Windows 7 they're still on XP and they're happy no I think you're wrong I think they, I really think that the only reason people have stuck with XP to now is how much been, is it going to cost? Yeah, but large corporates build this into their budget, and they're long overdue for an upgrade. The only thing that might stop it is the current economic climate. Mm-hmm. That, but you know, they 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 would normally have upgraded. When's it coming out? Is that pretty is much that now? now? Very nearly. Oh, if we it's would not have seen adverts, out. surely. We would have seen loads of ads for it. But uh, it, it's teetering on the, on the edge. Teetering on the edge. You see the end of this month, maybe? 
This month, definitely. So anyway, finally, hopefully we can move on from IE6, is my point. I'm being more positive than Grumpy Marcus. (laughs) Um, And another thing. And another thing, yes. So our last news story of the day is... um, there's been a little resurgence of CSS talk, which is good. They went through a stage a little while back where everybody stopped talking about IE, uh, sorry, about um, CSS. It's almost like everything had been said. Um, but I think because of the return of um, CSS3, the return of? <laughs> the return of CSS3. No, it's not the return of. I've lost it for some you reason. Have. Do you know why? You're happy, though. Do you know why? No show notes for this bit. Uh, For some reason, I blame Ryan. I'm going to blame him, even though it's painfully my fault. I blame you, because I thought you were a professional. I I, I am. (laughs) I just hide it well. So, yes, let's let's start this bit again. Let's start by saying that um, that because there is so much excitement around CS3, uh, CSS3, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of articles that are popping up about it, which is really great. And it's not only are people, you know, clamoring to try out new stuff and to write about it. Also, browser manufacturers seem to be falling over themselves to be the first one to support this stuff. Well, obviously, other than Microsoft (laughs) and IE. Um, so there's some really good stuff. And actually in Firefox 3.6 Alpha, which has just been released, so it's only an Alpha version, there's some really cool new stuff. And actually there's um, a great little post on SitePoint that kind of summarizes a few of the most exciting bits that are now supported by Firefox and pretty much Safari and Chrome as well. You'll need to read for the exact details about what's supported by what. But it's things like multiple background images, which is very exciting. Marcus, I can see how excited you are about that. Um, Resizing backgrounds as well, being able to size backgrounds dynamically as you scale. That's cool. CSS gradients, you don't need to use an image to do gradients, which is quite cool as well. good. Yes. Lovely. So there's there's a lot of new bits and pieces that are coming out that's really making CSS quite sexy and exciting again. Well, okay. <laughs> pushing it. Yeah, maybe pushed it a interesting. bit Interesting. Let's go with the word interesting. I like that. Um, but there's, I mean, there's some of you that's going to be listening to this thinking, ah, I can hardly get my head around CSS as it stands at the moment without worrying about CSS3. Um, so for you... Dear listener, there's also a great little post, um, which is 30 CSS best practices for beginners, which kind of outlines a few little hints and tips that will get you going and make you make CSS a bit more pleasurable um, and easy to wrap your head around. I will warn you, however, part of this parts of this particular post talk absolute bollocks. (laughs) A lot of it's really good, but there are one or two that are really dodgy. So you may think, well, how am I supposed to know which is the good stuff and which is the bad? Well, fortunately, the editor of this Hmm. post, instead of going back to his author and saying, look, you know, this isn't really good. Do you want to change it? He seems to have just humiliated the author by putting it live and then slagging it off. (laughs) So if you read the editor's comments, you will actually find what is truly best practice rather than what is one person's slightly distorted view of what is best practice. But check it out anyway. It's a really good article. Brilliant if you're starting out playing with CSS. So I think that about wraps up the news. um, And we bring to you a very exciting interview with Brian Suda about mobile web. And mobile web is... um, (laughs) How long have I been saying? I was going to say, it's just around the corner. Just around the corner, the mobile web is. No, but this is quite good because... It's here now, isn't it? It's called the iPhone. Yeah. And that's one of the things we talk about in the interview, you know, is, is... 
you know, is this all redundant because of the iPhone? And, and Brian talks about all of those kinds of things. And yeah, really good interview. So check that out. So joining me on the show today is Brian Suder, who is on to talk about mobile web. Good to have you on the show, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on. I think probably a good place to start is maybe if you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and and why the mobile web. Why are we talking to you about that in particular? Sure. Um, my background originally is in uh, programming in, in software systems. Uh, I did my undergrad in St. Louis, Missouri in the U.S., and then from there I moved on to the U.K. up into Scotland where I was studying a bit more about informatics. So I'm really interested in, you know, the background aspects of, you know, the, the, all the technical issues. But a lot of the things that I've developed when I actually started working on sites is more, more the front end and more of the way, the usability, the way people actually think about mobile. Uh, recently, I've been working on lots of different mobile sites here and there, trying to push clients and trying to push, uh, as a freelancer, all these new kind of mobile. It's, it's getting much bigger, and I think, now is about the time the customer should be looking into it and examining is the time right for them to at least you know put their feet in the water or take what they have and maybe take it to the next step. Mm. I mean, one thing that's kind of knocking around quite a lot that people uh, talk about when it comes to the web is this kind of one site fits all mentality, which which raises the question of, you know, do we need to be doing things specifically for mobile devices or if we build our websites right, can we avoid the whole problem? It's a very interesting one because the W3C does push this concept of, of the one web, and there are certainly huge pros and cons to it. I mean, the definite pro is that the maintenance costs, uh, if you're only dealing with one website, you know, you don't have to worry about updating and keeping things uh, you know, in sync and always drifting with data and forgetting about things you're not looking at on a constant basis. But at the same time, there are certainly different aspects to you know, the way people actually use the site. One of the things that we've really tried to do is you know, keep the one, one web in mind. Uh, and really the one web is all about is the same information available. It doesn't actually have to look exactly the same or be the exact same format. It just needs to be available to the end customer. Mm. So one of the things we've really been kind of stressing is we don't like the word uh, mobile web. And we've been trying to find a better term for that because mobile web kind of eludes the fact that you're using a mobile phone or, or some sort of mobile device. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, really, the way we've kind of pictured the, the mobile web is it's about mobility. I think they've got, you know, mobile as a noun. It should be mobile as a verb. You are moving. You're mobile. Okay. So really, the same kind of site doesn't always work. Um, a, good, a good example of this is, you know, if you've got a fancy iPhone or iPod Touch and you're at home sitting on a couch, you have no qualms about browsing the full BBC website. You know, you've, you're Wi-Fi, fast mm-hmm. connection, it's not a big deal. But if you're out on the move, you know, running, you know, catch the tube or you're late for the bus, you want the mobile version of the BBC because you want the quick, you might be on GPRS or Edge, you don't have the, you know, the time or the energy to download the full BBC website. So it's not necessarily about the device, but more about the situation. Mm. I mean, that that's quite interesting that you raise, you know, obviously the iPhone is going to come up in the conversation when we talk about the mobile web, as does Android and, and the various other new um, operating systems that are emerging. And the one kind of trait of all of these is that they're, they've got this very kind of rich browser experience, you know, quite powerful browsers. Uh, and again, I guess the other question that people are saying is, you know, is the idea of de- designing for mobile devices going to disappear because the browsers are so capable? 
But I guess this issue of environment and situation, you know, kind of applies whether or not the browser is sophisticated. Yes. I mean, there's also going to be situations where even if you have a very robust browser, uh, form input is always going to be a pain. Mm. So even though you might have basically Safari replicated for, you know, the iPhone, it might be easier just to have a phone number. I mean, you have a device in your hand which is built for making calls. I mean, that's what its number yeah. one purpose is. To force someone to fill out, you know, a form field, it just becomes a ridiculous pain. And then it fires off somewhere and disappears into the ether and maybe they'll answer it in 48 hours. Where you're sitting there, you know, you might be at an airport and you've lost your luggage. You know, you want to talk to a real person immediately, not fill out a form. Mm. So I think there's always going to be situations where the medium or the situation is going to define you know, what you want to do. Mm. I mean, I guess also you were mentioning there about how it's, you know, whatever mobile device you're going to be using, it's difficult to fill out a form. I mean, that brings up the whole issue of, of user interface that, that mobile devices, you know, are very different, you know, in terms of it's not a mouse and a keyboard. There's lots of other different interfaces. And I'm guessing that's problematic as well. Certainly. I mean, between navigating either with you know, a tab, uh, the Opera browser does it one way, uh, where the down button scrolls the page, where the right button tabs you through the links, where the iPhone is everything's done with your fingers. So, yeah, it's going to be you know, different interfaces, different ways of doing things. Some you know, fly-out menus, you know, when you do on hover, just don't work on some devices. Mm. And I guess that comes back to a lot of just basic web you know, 101 accessibility and progressive enhancement. Make sure it works without JavaScript, without a mouse, without, you know, just a keyboard, and then you can start layering the information on top of that. Mm. I mean, does that mean that, you know, that there's going to have to be a lot of um, device sniffing, for want of a better word, to identify, oh, you know, you're on an iPhone, therefore you've got a, a, a touch interface, you know, you're using an older mobile device, therefore you're using, you know, a... a, a keyboard or whatever else or is is there another way of doing that um unfortunately yeah browser sniffing is one of those things that everyone says you shouldn't do and it technically it usually it's done in a bad way i mean we all experience browser sniffing when we go to our banking website and the banking website says you know sorry you must have uh firefox 2 or higher Mm. and you've got version 3 and you just scratch your head figuring out you know what what they can't do their math yeah and it's because usually they they browser sniff and then restrict what you can do, where you should do it the other way around and say, okay, here's a working website. We are going to try and determine what browser you claim you are and then layer additional functionality on top of that. Mm. And, again, this is one of those things you can skim the surface or you can spend years working on it, you know, tweaking your site, and it's going to really depend on your audience. So somebody with like the BBC who might have loads and loads of resources might want to go through and wrap loads and loads of if statements around all different parts of their website, but then it becomes a trade-off with maintenance versus usability versus, you know, how much of a rich experience your customers get. Mm. I mean, you alluded earlier to this issue of context, the environment and surroundings that that people are in, and I've I've heard Cameron Mole speak on on the similar subject. I'm just interested in your take on that and... You know, what kind of elements come into it? I mean, we've talked about user interface, but what other elements of context are important to consider? Um, 
Uh, can you give an example? Like, well, um, the one that springs to mind, is, I guess, is environment. You know, you talked about being at, at the bus stop is is an issue. Are there there are other things like that that you you bear in sure. mind? Sure. Um, Google a few years ago did some really deep research into you know all of their properties, you know, Gmail and and the Docs and everything like that, and they kind of realized that their mobile customer base fell into one of three categories. There was sort of a um, board now. And people just say, okay, I'm waiting for coffee or waiting for a friend. I've got 10 minutes to kill. I want to go do something. Just keep me occupied. Mm. And YouTube does a really good kind of, does a good job of this where they just say, we know you just want to waste some time. So here's the top 10, you know, most interesting videos. So it's not so much browsing and searching. It's just keep me occupied. Mm. So that's kind of one category. Another category is the, um, urgent now. So someone's, you know, like, you know, there's been a, an accident outside or the power's been cut. I mean, that's a good example because if your power's cut, your regular phone and your internet connection might also be down. Yeah. But you want, you want the phone number to the electric company to say, you know, report the outage or find out, you know, how long this is going to take. Maybe the only way to do this is through the mobile interface. And this is one of those things you want to bubble up you know, if, if this is your client of clientele, you're expecting emergency information, you want to bubble this sort of information up to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did some work for some airlines, and this was, we realized, this is probably one of the categories, you know, has my, have I missed my flight? Mm. Don't, don't bury this information five levels deep. You want to bubble it up to the top. And then kind of the last category is repetitive now. People who, you know, I want to check my stock, I want to check the weather, got my answer, I'm done. They're not there to browse. They're not there to necessarily spend 30 minutes looking at the website. They're looking for one key piece of information, and they're done. So these, you know, depending on what your customer base is, these will kind of uh, lead or guide your design decisions and your you know, usability and how you just lay out your website. Mm. I mean, that's, that's really interesting in terms of, you know, the different types of content that you, you bubble up depending on, the, you know, the device you're on and the situation you're in. I mean, I guess that leads on to, to a more general question. You know, there are a lot of website owners that, that listen to this show. Um, you know, you said right at the beginning that people need to be starting to think about the mobile web. How do you go about deciding whether your content and what you provide as a website owner is relevant for a mobile device or if it's not, you know? And and then what out of your content is worth making, you know, taking across to the mobile site and what's, you know, just not relevant? Sure. Well, I, you could probably ask that same question of a, of a regular website. Yeah. Is, is, you know, the, the guy on the corner who is a plumber, is, does he need a website? Well, does he even need a mobile website? Maybe he needs a mobile website more than he needs a real website. Mm. Um, again, it's so easy to get started in, in the mobile area because you don't need to learn any, anything new. You can do it with all the existing HTML and all the web standards knowledge that you already have. It's just a matter of either repurposing it or thinking in the context of a mobile mobile device. Uh, and a lot of that is just realizing screen width, uh, bandwidth, the amount of information you can cram on a, on a page. There's a few things to learn, but it's not that difficult to get your feet wet. And it, it, I, would, I would argue that it's best to get started uh, on the cheap and easy and just see if it works. Mm. You, know, fail, you know, try early and fail fast mm. kind of thing. And from there, you will kind of you will learn what your customers want. Uh, one of the things that we kind of keep in mind is we don't like the term mobile website. So we've tried to come up with a new term, and we try to think of sugar-free or fat-free. So 
we kind of frame any situation as the traditional desktop website, we try and call that either full flavor or full fat. Mm. And then what people traditionally call a mobile website, we call either sugar-free or fat-free. Yeah. People understand fat-free and full fat. I mean, that's, everyone understands those concepts. So in situations, because it's about the situation, we might say, okay, I'm at my desk and I'm getting a million phone calls about you know, XYZ. Sometimes it's easier for me to look at the mobile website on my desktop computer because there's no ads, because there's not you know, the company's 70-year history or anything like yeah. that. It's just the raw information I need. So if you start thinking about it in these terms, are you fat-free or, or full-fat, the other kind of side consequence is if you are developing a mobile site and your boss might say, we need this, we need that, we need this, you're like, oh, okay, well, it's a mobile site, we can just add another navigation item. Mm. But if you start talking about things in terms of fat-free, when you know, your boss comes to you and says, we've got to have this, you're like, well, is the site still fat-free if we keep adding more and more navigation links? Mm. And it's a way to argue against kind of feature creep. Yeah, no, that sounds very sensible. You said something very interesting there. You said it's very easy to get started on the mobile web. And I can't remember where I heard this. It might have even been from you, but I, somebody once said um, something along the lines of, as web designers, um, you get really annoyed when a print agency turns around and says, we can do the web as well. And yet web designers are saying, oh, yeah, we can deliver the mobile web. Um, so I'm, I'm just really interested in your perspective, you know, um, as to whether, um, you know, whether web designers should even be trying to do this kind of, um, this kind of development or whether it's really down to a, a new breed of, you know, mobile web specialist or whatever word you want to use because, sure. you know, there are different elements involved in it. So, is it something web designers should be doing? Should website owners be looking to web designers or should they be looking elsewhere? I, th I mean, that's a very good question. I like the analogy with the print design because there are probably lots of people who, you know, they buy a, buy a computer and get on InDesign and all of a sudden they think they're a print house. Um, I think from a technical point of view, there's nothing, nothing greatly different between a mobile website and a regular website. It's the same HTML, it's the same knowledge, it's the same standards, it's the same code. Where the bigger difference is, is probably the usability and the way people you know, use the device, they work through it, the flow, how you lay it out. You could probably make the same argument between web designers doing websites, like business card type websites, and web applications. Mm. There are still a lot of design elements and design ideologies that transfer between both of them. Maybe in another year or two, there will be... A, a bigger niche for someone who specializes in mobile websites and mobile design and mobile kind of usability. It's one of these things everyone's been hammering on the door about mobile's the next best thing for five or six years now, and it's always next year, next year, next year. Um, maybe it'll be the same with specialists. I mean, oh, then maybe again it's a chicken and the egg thing. Maybe we need specialists before we get the websites and vice versa. It's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, you talked there about technically it, it, it's relatively straightforward um, to get going. Maybe you could kind of give us some ideas of where to start. You know, the web designers that are listening here that the, that want to kind of explore it from a technical point of view. What are the common mistakes? Um, what are the things they need to be aware of? Um, well, there's a few, few, few of them out there, I guess. The depending on your audience, I guess that's going to be the first kind of slice you need to take. You need to realize, who, who am I developing this website for? Uh, sometimes it might be fairly internal to a company or very high profile, and you realize most of these people 
aren't going to have iPhones, they're going to have Blackberries, mm-hmm. or they're going to have some other, you know, some other device. You need to figure out what your audience is going to be mostly using. Mm. I mean, this is this is just baseline. The BBC would have a completely different set of rules. But if you wanted to get started, kind of figure out what your audience is, and then you get the idea of what the devices are even capable of. Mm. Most of the newer devices have a decent web browser. They may be running WebKit or uh, some other, you know. New, you know, browser that can handle XHTML and HTML, and then you can just code up your sites just like you do normally. Some older browsers, older phones, um, don't necessarily handle all the CSS or everything in the same way. And then people argue, well, it's like coding for the web, you know, circa 1999. Yeah, you just need to get back to. Uh, you know, font tags, tables. It's not pretty. And again, it all depends on how far, how deep you want to go. Um, for things to get started, I mean, there's lots of good resources out there. Uh, I know the dev.opera, we put a few articles up there about introducing, you know, getting into the mobile web. Um, there's lots of stuff out on the web. As you said, Cameron Mole, he's got some resources. Um, you could put up, I can send you some links and we could put them into the show notes as yeah, well. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really useful. People are always keen to kind of take on, you know, take these interviews and move on with them. So that'd be yeah. brilliant. What about, I think, f- sorry, go on. I think it's just one, it's also a bit of a stigma. Everyone assumes it's quite difficult because they hear all these buzzwords about, you know, 3G and, and WAP and WML. When in all reality, a lot of that has passed now because the phones of today are, are quite capable of just rendering HTML. I think people are still a little gun-shy on where to even get started, but I think it's, it's not, not as mystic an area as people assume. Okay, so presuming then that the kind of technology side isn't too bad, let's talk about the design side, the, the usability and that kind of thing, which which is a, a very different environment than, than we've been used to, you know, designing desktop applications. Tell us about some of the common issues there and, and mistakes, etc. cetera. Uh, certainly. The biggest one is probably realising the the vast variety of phones and browsers out there. Um, the physical device itself is you know, varies in just screen width and you know colors and what each one's capable of. I mean, on a desktop machine, it probably ranges from 600 by 800 up to you know 1600 something pixels. Mm. Uh, and then we've got all these really nice grid frameworks, you know, 960 and Blueprint, which help us develop really quickly and get all sorts of grids. Really, in the mobile world, it breaks down to you know, screens of anywhere from you know, as small as like 88 pixels to 120 pixels all the way up to something like the iPhone, which is like 480 when it's in landscape. So just the, you know, how do you design for this? Most of the time, it ends up being kind of a stack where you just stack things up on top of each other, much like just the iPhone navigation. Mm. And that, at the moment, seems to be what's you know, falling into place. But this is probably you know, very much like the rules of the web in 1999 where you had your navigation on your left-hand column and you had a header and then your body area. As things develop, the trends of design and how things are going to flow are going to evolve as well. Uh, Design-wise, things like the iPhone handle lots and lots of CSS just fine. Some phones don't. Uh, this kind of forces you back to all the little tips and tricks that we've learned with CSS where we put in a, you know, an H1 and then push the, you know, indent the text with a negative margin and then replace yeah. it with a background image, that doesn't always work then when you get to mobile because maybe it doesn't display background images. Maybe devices like the BlackBerry just say don't display images at all. It saves on bandwidth. So 
there are always you know little gotchas here and there, and it's just a matter of testing, and it's going to come into quite a lot of time on devices and. It's not as, again, people assume, oh, now testing, we've got to buy five phones. Yeah, I was about to ask that. <laughs> well, the, the, the simplest way is you probably look around the office. I mean, maybe now everyone's got an iPhone. <laughs> but, you know, you code it up and you can say, okay, have a quick go around. Everyone pull out their phone, have a look, and we'll spot any issues. There are a few other companies out there where you can uh, buy time. Um, there's, I think, Device Anywhere where you can rent time on their kind of server farm and you load up the little... It's, it's a little Java application, but basically kind of like a webcam, and yeah. you can see the actual phone in front of you. And then you can say, oh, no, I want to try it on this phone, I want to try it on this phone. So it allows you to get a quick, uh, find all your errors and what's going on. Again, it's going to be, you know, nothing is going to ever be pixel perfect. But once you realize, you know, okay, background images don't work, we've got to do it this way, you you'll get into the rhythm after one or two kind of go-rounds, and you'll know what works and what doesn't. And then... If you are kind of a freelancer or you do this for your company, you build up a nice little template uh, and kind of a test suite so you know what works and what doesn't. So the next time you do one, you can pull out your templates and you, you know, you're pretty far along already. Mm. I mean, you mentioned just then about, you know, where everybody in the office is going to have an iPhone. I'm picking up a a kind of growing trend that that everybody, you know, within the web design community are overexcited about the iPhone. They love their iPhones. You know, it's got a very capable browser that, you know, can do a heck of a lot. Um, And they know that there's a good audience there and they're just going after, you know, building applications or building websites that are optimized for the iphone do you think that's a mistake should we be looking to produce um web content that that caters for a broader range of devices or is it okay just to target you know one or two devices i mean i would personally say that it's i would i personally say it's a bad idea mm-hmm. because i'm more of the the thought that you should do, you know build a baseline site that works everywhere and then layer up on top of that. Mm. That being said, I mean, Google has said something like 50% or more of their mobile traffic is coming from the iPhone. Mm. So it is a massive player in the audience that you can't kind of, you can't ignore. And if, if those are your customers and you're trying to sell something and you want to give them the best experience possible, you might have to, you know, spend a bit more time and optimize for the iPhone. Mm. Um, again, then, whoever's the leader in the market, the iPhone at the moment, the competition is going to probably build to that spec. Mm. So if you optimize for what's in the lead and the other ones will come along to meet that. Again, though, I mean, that's not necessarily a great philosophy. Otherwise, we're back to the whole click here for IE, click here for Netscape, best best viewed in iPhone browser, which I personally prefer to avoid, but um, it certainly seems that that's not the way it's going at the moment. I guess you also need to take into account how people are using those phones for example um you know we we know that there are you know there are phones out there that are a lot more popular than the iphone but the iphone users are the ones that are accessing the web um so it's the proportion it's the number of people using the web with their mobile device more than actually the number of handsets out there i guess yeah i mean the the most famous kind of quote numbers against that are the the Nokia 1100 phone. It's the little candy bar phone. And for every one iPhone out there, there's 14 of these Nokia 1100s. But they're the old green screen. You know, they basically just do SMS and and that's about it. So, yeah, like you said, the iPhone isn't a high percentage of the phones out there, but it's a very high percentage of those who are using the web. 
So. And it's, uh, you know, ultimately, I guess it's return on investment, you know, that if you've got limited budget for this, you're better off concentrating on a device where you know that the users, um, you know, are actually using the web. And I guess to some degree, you know, you know that iPhone users are relatively affluent if you're, if you're selling something. If it's an e-commerce site that you're uh, creating, then that's worth considering as well, I guess. Very true, very yeah. true. So, uh, I mean, just to kind of wrap up here, where you know where should people start where where should they go from here they've heard this interview you know maybe they're a website owner maybe they're a designer what should those two audiences next step be in investigating the mobile web a bit more sure the from a, from a technical point of view the easiest thing to do is just make a few mock-ups and that's probably fairly low cost to just get your feet wet make some mock-ups test it on a phone or two, and then you can show it to your boss or the rest of your team and say, hey, look, this took me an afternoon and just puttering around. I've learned some new things. Look how great this is. Mm-hmm. And from that, you can just, you don't necessarily have to make it public. I know some of, the, some of the websites we've done in the past, they've just stayed within the company for six months or a year. Some of them even never launched. And it's just to kind of get internally, get the feel, is this what we want? Is, you know, do we want this to be the public face of it? Um, you know, is this, you know, can we actually release this, which is less features? So it's not a huge investment to at least get started. You don't have to announce it to the world. And I think that's, that's one of the ways I'd get started if I was a developer. From a design perspective, there's probably just learning on how more the usability, um, what you can and can't do. A lot of CSS, like I said, just doesn't work. Um, understanding that will get you a leg up when you know you actually want to develop a real website mm. you may quote like oh i know i can use a temp you know if you're developing a traditional website it might take you you know x hours in photoshop x hours to cut it up so you can have a website in you know however many hours yeah if you quote that same thing for a mobile mobile website that you've never actually done <laughs> you're probably going to be well off because there's a lot of testing and going back and forth mm. so learning some of these things early on and spending some time now is probably going to help you later on when you want to pick up you know, a quote on a, on a job or, you know, you want to pitch something, you're a little more realistic because it's not going to be the same hours. Um, certainly some of the ideas and contents will transfer, but there's probably a bit of a learning, there will be a learning curve as well. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's really great. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about that. And uh, we will include those links um, if you send them over in the show sure. notes, which will point people in the right direction to see what's out there. Thanks very much for your time, Brian. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, so before we move into the listener segment of the show, let's, let's just take a moment. Let's just, <laughs> let's just pause, take a break, and talk about our sponsor. Okay, you do that. So, I mean, obviously, we have a couple of sponsors on the show, but we've got a new one, which is WebVanta. Um, and I thought for Marcus's sake, because he had to introduce them, I ought to now explain what WebVanta does. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, because obviously, we're going to draw it out. But they're, they're um, over a few weeks to make it sound like it's got loads and hundreds of features. We'll keep it all hanging till next week. Okay. <laughs> it's like teasers. <laughs> yeah. Teasers for the sponsors. I don't know whether that really works or not. But these are really cool guys. I've got a lot of time for them. And one of the things that they do with their content management system is something that you, Marcus, are going to love. Right. What's your biggest beef about content management systems? Uh, what was I've it? I've got you- lots of them. But what's the what, what was the one thing you were saying when we were talking about upgrading our content management system? It's hard to use. Yes. 
A lot of content management systems are hard to use. And re- that's not, that's an unfair criticism. This is hard, hard, hard to use for the user. It's the, overcomplicated. Yes. That's a better way of doing it. It's actually, the little, the bits of it are actually really easy to use, yeah. but there's too much. Yeah. It's like, ah, what do we do? It's a bit overwhelming, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you've kind of got to go through this admin system, mm. and it's all quite complicated. Well, one of the things with WebVantilet, which I really like, is that you can go to the website, you can click on a box of text, and you can edit it. Well, I've always been saying that they're my favorite type of CMS. Brilliant. Red Dot used to do it, didn't yeah. they? Or they're not Open called text. Red Dot. What they call open text, open text, yeah. And I, I just think it's a really good approach, and it's one of the things that WebVanta has got built into it, um, along with loads of other stuff that I'll, I'll be sharing over the next few weeks. So um, make sure you check it out. Um, you can go to WebVanta, which is V A N T A dot com forward slash Boag World, um, like Fanta but with a V. It's true. It is true. And with web written in front of it. Yeah, but people will remember that now. They will. See, you're a good salesman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's more marketing it's like most, sales, most isn't it? successful, <laughs> most successful British TV ad of all time was Shake and Vac, because yeah. of that blooming annoying song. <laughs> do the shake and vac and put the freshness back. Do the shake and vac and put the freshness back. You didn't have to sing back. it. You didn't have if to sing it. Don't stop now. There is another reason why that, that advert was very successful. Why? It's because middle-aged men find, found the lady uh, very attractive as well. Oh, was she? In a kind of homely way. I don't remember her at you all. You not see the... the there was a, Channel 4 had that thing of 100 your 100 favourite... I don't know. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever. Chairs. Um, <laughs> chairs. No, they don't do chairs. But do, they do. TV ads. Uh, I think it's TV what ads. looking for. Comedy programs. Yeah, yeah. You know, actors, actresses, people that tell jokes. You Cheap know. TV, basically. Yeah. And, but it is actually riveting because it's uh, usually on, on a Sunday evening between 10 and 12 when you finish whatever you're watching, you flick over and that's You do realise we're now on a stuffed. tangent of a tangent of a yeah, tangent. Yeah, you're stuffed, though, because you sit there watching it because it's like, oh, I wonder what the next one is. And it goes on forever. Oh, oh, yeah, and that was number one, and it, there was a certain insinuation uh, about the 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 vacuuming lady, right? But anyway, she moving was on, wiggling quite a lot. She I was remember. wiggling. There was yes. wiggling and bending over quite a lot. As so well. there, so there we go. That's that sells web vanter very well. It's like shaken fat. <laughs> 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 no, it's worth checking out, um, and I do like that feature. More features to come in future weeks, I'm afraid. Right, listener feedback. So what we've been doing is we're, we're taking a bit of a different tactic. You'll notice um, on the Boag World site, if you look at the right-hand column, there is now a box where you can make suggestions about subjects that you would like us to cover. Um, and there's been some really great... I'm going to have to put some things in there. Are you? Yeah. Cooking. Cooking. We've already had, <laughs> I think someone suggested mud wrestling. And I said, well, it depends on who we're mod- mud wrestling with. We could talk about mud wrestling. It would be very exciting. Hmm. Anyway. So, yes, um, there, were <laughs> there were a couple of suggestions that we thought we'd grab and mention on this show. The first one is one that um, our very own Marcus Lillington is going to cover. Lillington. Lillington. But you've got a silly surname. Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, at least mine's short. Yes, you've got a short silly surname. I'll give you that. <sighs> My wife's maiden name, yeah. silliest name ever, Snart. It's like a kind of, it's sort of something related to the Smurfs or something. Snart. S-N-A-R-T-T. She was ridiculous. pleased to be married to a yeah. Lillington. Did you, can, I, can I repeat the, can I repeat the, the, the person that, I don't know whether I should, the person that emailed Anna 
Or is it me? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I can't say that. It'll give us an explicit tag. Well, it's somebody's name. Uh, yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's perfectly okay. Oh, I think. God. I'm really sorry if you're listening to this show. But Shall we move oh, on? Oh, you made me laugh so much. Shall we keep it a secret? Yeah, keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. Until next week. That'll make them hang on the edge. Yes. <laughs> We're into this now, this teasing. Yeah, and obviously this is going to be really boring now. Um, somebody wrote in and said, when we receive an, e- an email asking for a quote, how do we follow it up? Yeah. And Paul said, can you respond to that, please, Marcus? Yes. And I was like, and you said, sort of, it's an opportunity to show our you know, whatever it is, customer service or something I, like that. I was and I'm de- thinking, no, it's uh, not. Um, no, it isn't. Um, but it's, well, I, I can tell, talk I, about I how I deal with it. I tell you why, is because I always have this conflict in me of, you know, that the, the end of the day, this podcast is here to facilitate, is, is a marketing tool for Headscape, right? Yeah. So the subjects we want to cover are subjects that potential or existing clients are interested in, rather than our competitors. <laughs> and this question falls firmly into the pack, you know, into the, the kind of group of, competitors but on the other hand i know that a lot no, of people it's both and that's why I'm, I'm i don't think either group is going to get an awful lot from it maybe, <laughs> maybe the other agencies will get more for it but i hope that but i also know that will... like there's a lot of freelancers out there that recommend us for work that is too big yeah. for them so we shouldn't be discussing this on the show really <laughs> <laughs> no no but anyway i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about it it's most it's mostly moaning so here we I'm... go <laughs> So it's it's turned into therapy for you with no yes. value for anything yeah. or anybody. But okay, okay, that's you, you, you can summarise at the end if you think any any value. No, I'll see if I can pull them out as I go okay. along. Okay, so what was it? When we receive an email asking for a quote, how do we follow it up? Well, honest answer is, as with pretty much everything, it depends. People get in touch in a number of ways and with varying level of detail in their inquiries. Um, I'm going to be bluntly honest now, and usually the best... Uh, which is usually the best policy. So I'm going to say the first thing I'm trying to gauge on any inquiry is whether or not we are a good fit financially with that particular prospective client and whether or not we can deliver whatever it is within the requested time scales. Yeah. So time, money, time. By the way, if you're listening time, to Time, money, money, time, yes. time, money. Yes. If you're listening to this, if you want Marcus to take your your inquiry seriously, he's, he's very dismissive, right? It takes quite a lot to get Marcus's attention. Worst thing you can do is email from a Gmail account. Hotmail's probably the worst. Hotmail even yeah. worse than that. Yeah. Or is Yahoo? Is Yahoo worse than Hotmail? Hotmail would probably be the worst. Right. Okay. But any personal account. We've got this great new e-commerce idea. And we're gonna, you know. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying not to be too neggy here. Okay, <laughs> but that. I mean, Anna. Just to go off on yet another ta- uh, tangent. This is a- tangent show. Yes, yeah, Anna um, posted a link on Twitter yesterday to an advert on. I can't think. It's one of these advert type sites. Gumtree. Right. Um, basically, saying, uh, "Hey, I've got this great new business idea, but I've got no money. Anyone want to build me a website?" Uh, no. So yeah, exactly. And there, are, there is a lot of that, and even we get that kind of inquiry. So let's. I'm going to move on. Okay. Um, but I have talked about. <laughs> we talked about repeating ourselves earlier. <laughs> I've talked about this. You know, my my quest for getting money out. Well, not getting money get, out. Getting people. money out. People get, <laughs> getting information. That, that was very telling, Marcus. No. I think you've just painted us in a very bad light there. Getting information about people's budgets out of them. <laughs> 
I've talked about it, yeah, like, I've talked about it in the past. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to do it too long. But I have been bitten many, many times. To uh, so I, I consider it very important. Yeah. Uh, only just a few months back, he says, grinding his teeth. Uh, I spent nearly a week putting together a proposal for a prospective client that was dimiss- dismissed out of hand because it was too expensive. Mm. What a complete and utter waste of my time. And please note, dear customer, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> a fairly large waste of this particular client's time too. It takes yeah. uh, a, a fair amount of time to wade through a hundred page document. Mm. I ain't exaggerating. Your document was a hundred pages. Yeah. You do have lots of big pictures, mine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you don't do words. It's like, it's like that schoolboy school approach yes, to writing. Feet, yeah, that's Harry Potter. Six feet of homework, please. Um, anyway, bah, bah, bah. And, but the, the biggest point for them, the reason why it's a waste of time for them, is we shouldn't have even been in that. But they, no. could have, they should have had somebody else in there. Um, if they provided that budget information up front, I would have just said, I'm oh, sorry, can't, we, we, can't, we can't do what you want for that budget. Therefore, we're going to pass. Somebody else could have been invited in, which could have been the best person for the job. Okay, can I play devil's advocate? Grr. Can I play devil's advocate? Yes. Why then don't we publish our daily rate on our website? Um, well, there's a good reason for not doing that. But what I do do, and I'm going to come on to in a minute, is usually... And this is most, and the reason why I'm cross with myself is because I didn't do what I normally do. Right. So it was your fault. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. What, 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 what sometimes you get client, a client coming through um, on an inquiry that you've heard of. Yeah. Um, so and you presume it, they've got money. You presume that you don't have to have this conversation. Because right. they, you know, they've got a fairly decent site and they want to upgrade it and they want to do that. And they come to us because they know what, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. We don't have to go into this kind of, Rather sordid area, talking about money and the <laughs> like. Um, so that was my fault. I didn't have the conversation with them. I'm desperate to know who the client is. You have to tell me later. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, so before getting into any serious detail about project, I will ask people about their budget. Yeah. Which I didn't do in that case. If they don't know, which they quite often don't, they're saying, well, that's why we're asking you. Yeah. We want this done, but we have no idea what it's going to cost. Yeah. Uh, then I'll talk about, and this is what, what I do tell people, I'll, I'll just talk about the kind of prices associated with a particular type of project. If you want yeah. us to do this, it'll cost them, you know. Because I guess at the end of the day, putting a daily rate doesn't actually doesn't tell it, you It anything. means bugger all, basically. No. What, what people want to know is a ballpark figure. Yeah, ballpark figure for their project. And as long as it's not something completely bespoke, right. then you can normally do that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but. And it, but basically, so if the figures that, you, that I've given um, to this prospective client seem to fit reasonably with their expectations, uh, then I'll ask about uh, delivery deadlines and, yeah. and why they exist. Because yeah. often deadlines exist because people think that they just need to have one. Yeah. Uh, but equally, um, some people have you know, their their flagship conference or whatever that they do every March and it must be done by then. And now, that's can, fair I, enough. can I ask a question, right? Yes. I mean, this has arrived as an email in. Yep. Are you asking all of this as email back or do you pick up the phone and talk to them? Depends. depends uh, sorry, on I know, everything depends. It depends on whether my radar is going, ooh, 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 this could be good. Right. Uh, in which case I'll normally phone them. Right. Or if I'm thinking this almost certainly isn't isn't a good one. Uh and then the the less sort of familiar so it's hard talking to someone about money. Yeah. Whereas writing it down is a lot easier. Ah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And that goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, if somebody can turn around someone can think 
you know, it, it happens. This is it's hard not to maybe come across a bit arrogant sometimes but you know we charge what we charge and i have to tell people that yeah and sometimes that's too too expensive for you know most startup type uh, uh work uh, or you know sole traders that kind of thing yeah can't afford us no. um and i have to have that conversation with people mm-hmm. so some doing it you know in a written fashion is easier, easier. for everyone yeah um, boom, boom, boom. so you've completely, I've completely lost where I got. Sorry, I'm just contributing to the show. I apologize for that. <laughs> I thought, you know, people might be interested. But anyway, so yes, if budget and time scales kind of fit, then mm-hmm. the next thing that people want me to do, or the first thing usually, but once I've got a kind of like, yes, we can do this within, we can do it within your budget and we can do it within your time scales. Then the next thing I'm going to do is create a proposal for them. Right. Um, for pretty much all jobs, I'll ask the client for a brief describing the work, written brief. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just want to have a chat, mm-hmm. but I want them to write it down because it makes them think about it. Yeah. Um, uh, but saying that, most most inquiries come through with some sort of brief. Yeah. Um, and for those that don't, I'll often direct them towards the questionnaire that we have on our website. Yes. Which basically asks questions which make up a brief, really. Um, but often um, briefs are extremely well written and can therefore easily be interpreted interpreted into a project. I, I've often had a brief that's so good, and people—I guess it's from people that know their stuff. They've done, they've, yeah. they've worked with agencies in the past. They know what they want from their site, and they just want me to give them a breakdown cost of what we think it will, what, what our cost of what our proposal would be for that particular project. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's really easy. If it's like that, do you? Sh- do you still contact them, or do you just go straight in with a proposal? Depend it, again. It depends on what type of. It, it, it's a kind of this radar thing again. Yeah. It's, it, if you think it's like, going to be a goodie, you might pick up the phone to them and try and build a bit of a rapport. It, it's not necessarily a rapport. It's more a case of just sort of confirm what you think. stuff. Yeah, and yeah, and yes, I suppose it's yeah. a rapport thing as well. And it, I guess it's worth ringing them to talk uh, to make sure you've got the right perspective on it so you don't screw yeah. up. Whereas <laughs> if I'm thinking I'm reading this, they do know what they're talking about, but I know they're not going to have the budget for us to do it, yeah. then I'll just respond with a bullet point list of these are the tasks and yeah. this is what this is the effort involved, this is the cost. Cuz I mean it's going to it's going to scare people witless when you talk about a 100-page proposal. They're rare. Yeah, very rare. Yeah, that's another. That's why I use that example because it was a, such a detailed brief that it demanded, kind of demanded a it demanded a, 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 yeah, it was point by point. I had right. to respond, and obviously some of those responses were twenty pages of response to one point. Yeah, um, and it just went on and on, and it was so bespoke. It took me a week to write it. Can we not go there? Okay. But I mean, it's quite interesting because we—I think we do much more detailed proposals than most companies. Some, not most. Okay, with most of the I've seen some. I, know. I have seen seen a few proposals okay. of, from other agencies, and but if you take, they're very similar. If you take Clear Left, for example, they do much shorter documentation. Yeah, well, than us. they're different. <laughs> I don't know how they'll take that. No, no, I don't know how. Well, that's not that. actually true because when we talked to Andy about this um, last year, and so oh, he, he has additional he has, you know, this yes. document that talked to. Well, we just bundle it all together in yeah, one big thing. So, yeah. I said I think you should put it in one because yes, then if yes, the person you're dealing with wants to hand it on to their boss. Yeah, they don't want three yeah. documents; they want one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I've lost it. Again. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Dear. I'm just trying to make it more of a conversation. And, and I like that. I like it. I have to have my own notes. You know. Okay. And that's fine. If you're not professional, that's fine. Yeah. It's hard. That, that, it's hard that, to that read two of us then, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we established I wasn't earlier. I'm just glad you're with me. Uh, <laughs> we we covered um, talking on the phone, uh, but yeah, oh yeah, this is a good point. Why don't you just skip to the end? No. Um, <laughs> This, no, no, this is quite important. Because this is, I mean, we're assuming we got past the, my initial timescale yeah. and budget fixation. Yes. Um, then Can I just bring up the project that no, took you a week? But it, it's, it's rare that a brief is so good that I'll just be able to respond to it. Yeah. You always, there are always questions. Yeah, Usually at, those points, at that point you want to pick up the phone. Yes. But this is the point I was going to make. If it's a project, a very complex project, mm-hmm. and you know that it's going to be you know, potentially a, you know, six months of work or something like that. Yeah. Then you go and see the people. Yeah. You go and sit down and you talk to them. Prior, prior to any, any, um, you know, any proposal being written yeah. or any chance of winning the work, go and talk to them. Yeah. Obviously, geography can be a bit of a factor there. Yeah. We, had, uh, we, we recently would have loved to have done that with a potential very big client based in Holland, but we just couldn't get there. Mm. It was one of those sort of pains, but there you go. Um, but that, that's, that's what we do. But anyway, all in all, it's a balancing act. I have to kind of carefully judge whether something coming in is a good fit with us. Yeah. This usually means being quite direct. I've kind of covered this already, but I'm going to... Repeat You're just going to start repeating I'm going to repeat my summary. People thought that we repeated <laughs> ourselves across 185 <laughs> shows. What are they going to say when you start repeating within a show? You didn't have to make that big a deal out of what I just said. Okay, anyway, that's fine. I'm, getting, I'm feeling quite hurt now. Oh, dear. Anyway, but I've, yes, I've, I've got to be quite direct with, with potential plants. I've learned that beating around the bush is, is utterly pointless. Yes, um, I would agree. But of course, I really don't want to upset anyone. Or give the impression that we're arrogant, aloof, you know, we're far superior because it's expensive. Um, and all that kind of thing. Because I don't think we are that expensive, but compared to, you know... A freelancer. A freelancer, a guy working out of his bedroom, whatever we are. Because yeah. um, it's hard to tell people to tell someone that they can't afford you. It's so hard being me. Oh, dear. It really God. is. Well, I've written down here, please send more jokes to cheer me up. Please. I've got what's, a good joke this week. I've got a really good joke this week. Okay, that's from good. Drew McClellan. Okay. Made me giggle. So I think if you've got a wonderful joke from Drew, I think we ought to go straight into that. Well, I was supposed to be doing a thing on email masking, but to be honest, Marcus, you've just talked so long. <laughs> yeah, sorry. This has turned into a long show today, hasn't it? I think it probably has. Well, then the person that criticised last week for being yeah. too short, stuff you. You've there got extra go. helpings yes. this week. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll save my bit and we'll do it next week. And then I've got less to write, which yeah. is great. So the more you go off on tangents, the less work you have to do. Yes. So we could just fill the show just with tangents. <clears throat> and then we wouldn't have to do any. Might not be as valuable a show, but there you go. So go on then. Impress us with Drew's joke. Okay. A woman brought a very limp duck in to see the vet. Actually, even the word limp duck limp makes you want duck. to giggle. There you go. As she lay her pet on the table, the vet pulled out his stethoscope and listened to the bird's chest. After a moment or two, the vet shook his head sadly and said, I'm so sorry, your pet has passed away. The distressed owner wailed, Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. The duck is dead, he replied. How can you be so sure? She protested. I mean, you haven't done any testing on him or anything. He might just be in a coma or something. The vet rolled his eyes, turned around and left the room. He returned a few moments later with a black Labrador retriever. As the duck's owner looked on in amazement, the dog stood on his hind legs, put his front paws on the examination table and sniffed the duck top to bottom. He then looked at the vet with sad eyes and shook his head. 
The vet patted the dog and took it out and returned a few moments later with a, a few moments later with a beautiful cat. The cat jumped up on the table and also sniffed the bird from its head to its tail and back again. The cat sat back on its haunches, shook its head, meowed softly, jumped down and strolled out of the room. The vet looked at the woman and said, I'm sorry, but as I said, this is most definitely 100% certifiably a dead duck. Then the vet turned to his computer terminal, hit a few keys and produced a bill which he handed to the woman. The duck's owner, still in shock, took the bill. £150, she cried. £150 just to tell me my duck is dead. The vet shrugged. I'm sorry. If you'd taken my word for it, the bill would have only been £20. But what with the lab report and the CAT scan, it all mounts up. (laughs) I guess the CAT scan was coming, but the lab report I didn't see. (laughs) Joey, thank you. That's the kind of quality of joke we need. That's great. Thank you very much. And thank you guys for listening to this week's show. I hope it was useful. Um, I I enjoyed this one. I was in the mood for it, which is always a good sign. So next week we will have something. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure what. But something. We'll find out. And tune in then. Hello, world of Boaz. It's like being on David Letterman. Boag world, Boag world. Thank you.